one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you, as always, for being here. And apologies for the lateness of the podcast this week. Normally, we have something for you on a Friday morning, but various things have happened and transpired and have been going on around here, which made that uh, basically impossible. One, like the time of the Europa League game yesterday, 5.45 kickoff, it's not always easy uh, to find somebody who's available to chat um, after the game, and plus there was other post-game stuff. I was also supposed to be having some work done around the house today, so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to record first thing in the morning or not. As it turns out, that was cancelled at the last minute. But the main thing was that yesterday, Lana, my four-year-old German shepherd, came back from the vets having just had a hip replacement surgery on Tuesday and she required and still requires obviously quite a lot of care and attention and looking after but she came back yesterday and she was absolutely 100% zonked on painkillers the trauma of the surgery she was sad and sore and all that kind of stuff so it has taken a little while for her to sort of settle back in at home and uh, start having a little bite to eat and everything else so she is hopefully uh, gonna get better and better and brighter and brighter every day and thank you to everybody who's been in touch to ask about her and, and everything else it's uh, it's much appreciated but all of that was going on which made it difficult for me to get a podcast out before now but here we are, so let's do it. Europa League action and more, and with me to talk about all that is Lewis Ambrose. Hi, Lewis. Hello, Andrew. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How's it going? It's going all right, thanks. You? Yeah, I think it's going fine. I think it's going fine. <laughs> At least from a footballing perspective, Arsenal have got the uh, Europa League campaign off to a winning start, a 2-1 win over FC Zurich last night in uh, St. Gallen. Uh, in Switzerland rather than Zurich itself. And uh, I guess that will form the first part of our conversation today. It's nice to have European football back. You know, I think you could look at this game. Nobody's going to look at this game and say, it was an absolute classic. This is what European football is all about. Nobody is, is going to say that about this particular game. But it is nice to sort of get into that, well, we thought we were going to get into that uh, Thursday-Sunday rhythm, which is probably going to be delayed uh, for reasons which we'll touch on a bit later on, of course. But just having European football back, that sort of change of team, that change of scenery, that that sense, I don't know if you get this, but there's always a sort of like a sense with European football that it's happening somewhere else, even if it's happening at the Emirates, kind of, which is a bit weird. But you know what I mean? There's that, there's something a little bit different about it. And, uh, you know, you get that with the team selection and everything else. So nice to have it back. 
Yeah, like you say, with the with the lineup especially, but you do definitely, and it's like these two parts of it as well because you've got the knockout rounds which mm. are tense, and you know that any mistake or slip up could be really costly, and then you obviously get the group stages, and especially the very beginning of the group stages where. I think yesterday um, we were in complete control of the game and then obviously gave a penalty away. Hmm. And it's never nice to give a penalty away or concede a goal. But you could also very easily or much more easily than most games take it on the chin. And even if uh, if the game in Switzerland had gone horribly, you knew that we had five games to make up for it. So hmm. it's... the. In a weird way, I guess that tension isn't quite there in the same way. You obviously see that with the team selection as well. And I think, especially when it's so close to the summer still, and we've signed a few players that we've not had the chance to watch yet. Yeah. Uh, Fabio Vieira, especially because he was missing for all the preseason. It's nice to be able to watch those players and, and see, start to get a bit of an idea of what they can bring to the team and how can how can they be of use to us throughout the season. So... They'll have much tougher games than against FC Zurich, but mm. it was good to get off to a good start and see some not-so-familiar faces. Well, that's true. And look, there were some players playing their first game for the club last night. Matt Turner in goal, Marquinhos uh, starting on the right wing. There were some players starting their first game of the season as well. Rob Holding, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, Fabio Vieira, Eddie Nketiah starting their first game. So, you know, these group stages are important. And I was trying to figure out the team beforehand. You know, I was trying to figure out, like, who's going to play where because we've had those injuries in midfield, because we didn't add further to the squad before before the end of the transfer window, you're kind of thinking, well, what is the 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 11 rotation that you can make? And it was very difficult to make 11 changes because we just didn't have that depth and and don't have that depth. So we did see some players like Granit Xhaka, Gabriel Martinelli also start who, you know, ordinarily you might think, okay, we've got to give these guys a, a bit of a rest, but um, they weren't lucky enough to get that uh, going into this game. So let's go through the... Um, the sort of the, the people we haven't seen too much before, but we'll do it sort of back to front. There was an early scare, um, self-inflicted scare as well, when Matt Turner um, <laughs> played a pass that he really shouldn't have played. And, you know, when he, when he did it, what went through my mind was, you know, when he signed, people were saying, this guy's a very good shot stopper, but maybe with the ball at his feet, he doesn't quite fit what Arsenal want to do. And he spoke about that himself, and he admitted this is something that he's going to have to work on, he's going to work really hard on. And I just wonder if, in that particular circumstance, did he think, right, here it is, this is like my first moment, do I make a pass? Can't just hoof, can't just hoof it. Yeah, you know, do, do I just boot it up the pitch? And I think the answer to that question was, yes, you should just boot it up the pitch when there's two attackers in front of you and like a, a slide rule pass that if Dennis Bergkamp had made between those two attackers, people would go, oh, that was a good pass, a bit risky, but a good pass. He made the wrong decision. We got away with that. And then from the, the resulting corner, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a flap at that. So it was an unconvincing start from Matt Turner, but I do think he grew into the game um, more solid as it went on he didn't have a, a huge amount to do but a couple of times when he needed to show safe hands he did that yeah he wasn't like you say he wasn't too busy there were that moment you just wonder as well we've kind of been spoiled a little bit watching Aaron Ramsdale and you cast mm. your mind back a few years to better check being in goal and 
it seems like you're covering your face now as I say that I can see um scenes like that were kind of a weekly occurrence where Czech would fumble with the ball a little mm. bit at his feet so yeah there are goalkeepers who are good at it and there are goalkeepers who aren't as good at it Aaron Ramsdale is very good at it and you saw Old Trafford on Sunday for example really good on both feet too yeah it doesn't matter what angle the ball comes to him he can you know sort of clip that pass out to the left back or the right back whichever foot it's on I thought that was that situation with Turner that you're talking about it was a little bit uncomfortable and maybe would have been more comfortable to use his weaker weaker left foot Mm. he obviously wanted to try and take it on his right foot so his sort of all sort of his body shape was all closed off to getting Mm. the ball upfield because he was taking it on his right foot yeah those things will come and I I don't know how to what extent they can come at that age certainly not to the extent that Aaron Ramsdale can can play with the ball at his feet, but you'd hope that training every day he'll he'll only improve and being in those situations, he'll learn when to do it, when not to do it. Some of the passing was okay. Yeah. And then at the end of the game when, I mean, FT Zurich obviously launched a few balls forward towards the end, trying to get in behind, look for that equaliser. I thought he was quite proactive coming off his line as well and, and collecting a couple of balls that if he'd have stayed on his line could have turned into shots. So, as you say, there wasn't too much for him to do, but we did have to do generally. He was he was fine and no Alex Runison clangers for the goal either. It's a penalty, he's gone the wrong way, it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't really blame a goalkeeper for that. Um, I did see a few people um, uh, tweeting Turnerson uh, after those first couple of minutes, which might be a little bit harsh. But look, you know, he's got his debut under his belt. Um, you know, in terms of his, his passing, he attempted 17 long balls and was accurate with nine of them, um, which stacks up against Aaron Ramsdale against Manchester United, who attempted 22 long balls and, and played 11 accurate long balls. So, you know, it's not bad in that sense um, I do think it's about picking your moments when you're trying mm-hmm. to play out from the back is knowing like am I capable the, of doing this like wh- when control under pressure exactly as well. exactly and I really do think that the part of that was like this is my debut this is the first pass I've got to make with Arsenal playing out from the back I'm going to show that I can do it. And, uh, you know. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. And look, thankfully, we got away with it. And I, I do think that, you know, as as they work on that aspect of his game with him, you know, it, it's not even so much about the technical execution of it. It's about the decision making, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, for sure. And I think we, I think that's something we even talked about mm. maybe last year or the year before with, with Burnt Leno. It was never, it never felt like a huge issue that Burnt mm. Leno couldn't play with the ball at his feet. But just that, not even the decision making, I wouldn't say, but the time that he took to make some of those decisions sometimes put himself sure. or put put defenders under pressure when the ball did then arrive at them. Maybe he'd taken a couple of seconds or a second and a half longer than Ramsdale would to, mm. to pop that pass off. And I hope that will come in good time. And I think we know that the way that Arsenal want to play and you saw bits of it in the All or Nothing documentary as well, they'll be sat there going through all of those passes and every time he got the ball at his feet and they'll be showing examples of maybe Ramsdale or, or someone else and what they'd like him to do and what he did do and they'll be working on those things with him. He won't get better at mm. uh, Just before we move on, uh, uh, speaking of long balls, Takehiro Tomiyasu, six out of six. 
some of them with his left foot as well. Um, you know, I know this is a guy who really impressed people in the first half of last season when he came in and did really well, and injuries really affected the second ha- uh, half of, uh, of the season for him. But, you know, they've eased him back in this season, and it will be quite interesting to see, you know, what way we line up, um, you know, over the coming weeks and months as the, the fixtures become more condensed. Uh, I thought he was very good, sort of, underrated, not underrated, but not somebody anybody talked about on the night, but I just think as a performance, his first start of the season, I thought it was really, really solid. He's just so clean technically. You yeah. never you never worry that he's going to fumble and mm-hmm. give the ball away in a dangerous position and, and get caught and on the turn or anything like that. It's it's great as well for us, for Mikel Arteta to have started the season the way we have with Ben White playing there. And now we've got options in multiple positions. You look at that back line and you think we've got three starting level centre-backs. You've got three centre-backs that you can pick any two of them on any given weekend and you wouldn't expect too many problems. You'd have faith in the two, whichever two are picked to deliver. Yeah. And the same at right back, the way that Ben White started the season. You can play him or Tomiyasu. You've you've got options now. And it's really, really nice after last season. We've talked so much about last season, one injury away in in probably more than half the positions on the pitch. We were one injury away from panic and disaster. And now at right back and at centre back with the with Ben White's versatility, you've got players who can come in and Tomiyasu maybe, you know, as, as a possible option at left back as well. It's reassuring to have those options and those backups and that level of rotation. Even if you think the squad isn't maybe quite as big as it could be Mm. when you've got a player like Ben White who can then play well in a couple of different positions it just adds so much and you can play him at centre-back and play Tomiyasu you can leave Ben White out and play Tomiyasu with with Saliba and Gabriel next to him so it'll be interesting I don't know if a first choice pair or a first choice back four will be obvious by the end of the season but or if we'll be in a position where it's Mm. just general rotation game by game it'll be interesting to see but i also yeah people look for their they have their favorites and the guys they maybe don't like so much right now the two center backs and at right back i'm happy whoever which whoever of those four players take those three spots yeah yeah i mean when you talk about the squad just looking at the bench there were three academy guys on the bench but i think it was quite obvious that that the sort of you know the way in Europa League seasons in the past, we've had the likes of Reese Nelson, Joe Willock, Eddie Nketiah, uh, Bukayo Saka to a certain extent, um, you know, who did break through under Emery. Uh, players who are sort of there or thereabouts knocking on the door of the first team. And we don't necessarily have that uh, for the group stages. Uh, and it feels you can, like those guys have been loaned out this summer, if, if there were any of them. Yeah, um, I mean, Balogun I guess, like, is Charlie one. Patino, Balogun, yeah. yeah. Um, Amari Hutchinson, I guess, would have been one, but obviously left for Chelsea. So, yeah, those those sorts of guys just aren't really there at yeah. the moment. And and the, the young kids that we're going to see on the bench are probably going to only see any sort of minutes if we're 4-0 up in a game or something. Or something. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And if we, you know, if we have the group wrapped up, for example, ahead of the last yep. game, maybe then you can you can give some of these guys a, a debut and a bit of a run out. But, you know, the bench was, was pretty, pretty strong because there isn't much depth um, in the squad as it stands. 
Fabio Vieira, thirty-five million pound signing, thirty thirty-five million pound signing from Porto. I thought he had an interesting uh, few minutes. I won't call it a cameo, Lewis. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> against <laughs> against Manchester United, but he got his first start of the season, and I I think he was a little bit in and out of the game, but you can see that this is a player who's got real technical quality. He played in the Odegaard role. He uh, flitted between the lines, um, you know, between the the midfield and attack lines very well. He's got a good eye for a pass, as we saw for the uh, for the goal, which I'm sure we'll come to. Made a great run forward. Um, could have scored a goal in the first half as well. And technically, as we're, we're talking about that aspect of things, you know, looks very tidy on the ball. And, uh, you know, when we think about where this squad is going to go, where this team is going to go, this is a guy who I can see contributing very well over the course of, of this season. Clearly needs a bit more time to settle. Hasn't really had a preseason, but he looks sharp. He looks quite quick over the ground as well in the first five, ten yards, which I think will be really important. Yeah, that's the thing I think it's that's very, very much worth bearing in mind. That was the first game he'd have started since May, I guess, uh, playing for Porto. Yeah. So he's gone quite a long time. As you say, no pre-season. He's gone a long time without really playing football. And I thought, yeah, he did look pretty good in, when he came on at the end at Old Trafford on Sunday. And I thought, yeah, I think you're right. He flitted in and out, but when he flitted in... It was really, really good. And he's a player who's just very, very easy on the eyes. Very, very good to watch. I think probably that you cast your mind back and that classic stereotype Arsenal playmaker from, what, just over 10 years ago, Hleb and Nasri. He would fit in with those sorts of players, that group of players that everyone thought we had way too many of really, really (laughs) nicely. I think technically just looks so smooth on the ball. And genuinely, I think he's a pleasure to watch. The Not just the pass for the goal, but the feet to get himself mm. away from a little bit of pressure. He collected the ball and he had a couple of Zurich players around him and managed to calmly move himself out of that position and then obviously finding Ketia in the channel. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Fabio Vieira. For, and we've paid a lot of money for him, so you do sort of expect a return on that quite quickly. But he's young and he's not had the preseason. It's going to probably be a slow move into the team. Odegaard's captain as well, the guy he's competing for, really, most yeah. of the time for a position in the side. If not Odegaard, then you'd probably say Saka on the wing is the other position that he's most likely to play in. So he's not a player who we're going to see week in, week out, and he's going to fire us to the title or anything like that. But we're going to have to use him in these Europa League games, and then we'll get a really good idea, I think, of how ready he is. And then maybe, maybe after World Cup and after Christmas, we might see a little bit more of him in the league. I suspect. Well, they've got him mm. earmarked for these European games up until then. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially his preseason, yeah. you know. And and you think back to you know the guys who've hit the ground running this season: Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus. Now, these guys have had their preseason. They've done the training. They've done the hard work on the training ground. They've played the matches, you know, in temperatures against decent opposition as well, which has really given them the the sort of the, the readiness and the preparation to deliver in the Premier League right now. So I think people have to bear that in mind that, that maybe we're going to see Fabio Vieira with Europa League starts and little cameos in the in the Premier League and what have you. But it might just take him some time to get to the rhythm, to get to the sort of match fitness and match sharpness that you need to be able to contribute at that level. 
Yeah, which is fine as well. Yeah. It's yeah, especially the injury situation. We've we've all seen what happens over and over again if you rush a player back or rush them into minutes. And when you say this is his preseason, it's so condensed up until the middle of November when all the mm. players go away for the World Cup as well. That it's a game a week essentially. If you if you throw in, I think a couple potentially a couple of League Cup games. Obviously, we've got Brighton in the in the third round of that. Mm. Who knows who'll be in charge of them now as well. It'll be Fabio Vieira will be playing all those Europa League games, I'm sure, and the League Cup as well. So we're talking, what, the next eight or nine weeks, he could play seven or eight games. So it's not a, it's not like last season when we weren't in Europe and you got to Christmas, we'd be knocked out of the the Cups in by January and Eddie and Ketty were sitting there like, oh, when the hell is he going to get on the pitch then? Yeah. Fabio Vieira's if he stays fit, Touchwood is going to have six Europa League group games, a League Cup game minimum, and mm. whatever minute you can use him in the league as well. So he's got time to ease himself in and then hopefully hit the ground running when football, when domestic football restarts again um, after Christmas. Yeah. One man who did have a special night. I think he's the guy who will remember this as a as a fantastic evening, even if most people will just say, well, FC Zurich uh, won Arsenal too. Let's <laughs> chalk it down to history and move on and get to the next one, is Marquinhos. And, you know, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because here's a guy who we signed during the summer when, when Wolves were going to sign him before we hijacked that deal, uh, much to their uh, unhappiness. They were planning on loaning him out to Grasshoppers. And clear, they, they knew something. He was clearly going to rip yeah. the Swiss league apart. He was ready for Swiss opposition, exactly. Um, had Arsenal, you know, let's say Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny had not got injured and Arsenal had brought in another winger before the end of the transfer window, it's quite possible that Marquinhos may not have even um, stayed at Arsenal for this season. He could have gone on loan. Um, or, or if the, or if no suitor had been found for, for yeah. Nicola Pepe as well. Well, that's true also. That's true also. So sometimes it takes little things to go your way for you to get an opportunity in a team. And you could see very clearly how much that goal meant to him, uh, like scoring on your debut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fucking great anyway. Like fair play. Uh, scoring on your debut is like a dream for any player when they start at a, uh, at a new club. But the reaction was very emotional. Like I don't know his backstory to, um, to any great degree. Very often you hear stories of Brazilian footballers who've worked really, really hard to get mm-hmm. themselves you know, uh, into a position where maybe they might get a, a move to Europe and financially it's it's great for them. I don't know his backstory, but but maybe based on the reaction, um, you know, th- this might be something that he has worked extremely hard for um, and to, to mark his debut in, I was going to say in red and white, but in glorious black and gold, <laughs> um, you know, it obviously meant a huge amount to him. Yeah, and I think, I, I imagine as well, maybe the hard work is one aspect going through my mind was that this is a kid who knows this is his chance like he's mm. going to have a limited number of minutes this early this season to prove and and he only is getting those minutes as you say because A we didn't sign a winger B mm. Pepe left and C Bukayo Saka is unfortunately human uh, <laughs> we think yeah. and, and can't play every minute of every game and 
I'm sure Marquinhos knows that they will be chasing some sort of option to play in those attacking positions in January. And he's got a few games here to mm. really make a mark and show that he shouldn't go out on loan and he can be of value to Arsenal right now and maybe play in the Premier League at some point in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, you know, he was obviously, we were looking for a goal on Sunday and, and a whole bunch of other guys were brought on and he was the one that, the attacking player on the bench who was overlooked, I think completely understandably. And now he's gone and had a, a really exciting debut. And and obviously, as you say, scored the goal. I thought he took the goal really well. Yeah. His weak foot. Yeah. He, he just acted calm. He, he didn't hit the ball hard at all. He just picked his spot and, and guided it right into the corner. Used the pace um, of the ball. Let the ball do the work, as they yeah, say. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was really, really composed, calm finish. He didn't panic or rush. Uh, that was really refreshing to see. And generally, he looked busy and exciting, I think, throughout the game. Yeah. Some of those crosses were, were lovely. Martinelli nearly got on the end of one. Fabio Vieira, I think, early on, nearly got on the end of one as well. Martinelli should have know. scored from one very yeah, early Martinelli on. Was, yeah, it was, it was a good chance. Yeah. I don't know if it was Fabio Vieira. There was one earlier that right near the beginning I don't know if it was Fabio Vieira or if it was Kieran Tierney because there was a moment where a ball just evaded Kieran Tierney in the box and I just assumed it was Vieira and then they zoomed in and it was Tierney and you think what the hell is he doing in the oh yeah that's right Vieira yeah it was Kieran Tierney it was it was a, that was a Vieira pass actually for, for okay, Tierney right. yeah, yeah 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 true um, but yeah Marquinhos a couple of really good balls he the left back had a little bit of trouble, I think, in the first half, especially dealing with him, yeah. knocking the ball outside him, and and trying to get past him. He's he's also when we when you sign a winger that age, you do expect. I think we it was mentioned during preseason on, on one of the ask casts, but you expect someone maybe a bit wiry who is going to take a bit of a kicking and and have to get used to that. He's stocky, and I think that's going to suit him really really well when it comes to adapting to the Premier League and Mm. getting used to playing football at this level I don't think he's going to be pushed around too easily so it was a a nice exciting debut I think and hopefully there's more of that to come Mm. I mean trying to think of wingers who have come through at Arsenal before and looked ready at that age and Oxley chamberlain and and Gnabry had that similar kind of build I wouldn't compare them as Mm. players but they looked ready at, at 18 to play top-level football and they did have that sort of mm. rugby player chest, if you like. And Marquinhos <laughs> has got a bit of that. So, yeah, I I think we'll see more of him. There's, it happens now and then, doesn't it? A young player and you don't really know if he's ever going to play this season or not. And then it turns out he becomes a lot more useful than anyone imagined during the season. Yeah. And after last night, I'm quite hopeful that not that he's going to be starting 10, 15 Premier League games, but he's, that he could be a useful player for us. Yeah, I mean, he's a sturdy guy. Like, he's 19. He certainly doesn't look 19 um, in terms of his physique and how well developed he is. There were some, you know, pictures doing the rounds in preseason with the the old tree trunk thighs, big muscly thighs. And everyone's like, holy shit, this guy's a unit, you know? But but what I liked about his his debut was like, you know, the way, like you say, sometimes you get a young winger and they're really, really keen to impress and what that does is it has an impact on your decision-making when you've got the ball. 
right? So you try and do something spectacular so people will sit up and take notice and try and, you know, maybe take a risk in certain areas. And I thought his decision-making for the most part was really good. When he when he made space to put in crosses, they were good crosses, two with the left foot. The one I mentioned early on, which Martinelli should score. He doesn't get enough on the header. He should score from there. And then, of course, there's the, the, the assist for Eddie and Kedia as well. Mm-hmm. But there were other moments where that wasn't quite on and he didn't just fling the ball into the middle for no good reason. He ended the game with four key passes, uh, one goal, one assist, two shots, you know, and he came off at what, 70 minutes, something like that. So it it really was a very impressive debut. And I just wonder, you know, when you're, when you are a young player, like, and you do have your chance and, and we've seen this countless times where, where they're desperate to make an impression. They want to show their quality. They want to show their talent, but often it comes at the expense of doing the right thing at the right moment. And it feels like a performance from a young guy who's listened to what the coaches and what the manager have said to him about how he should play. Like, they want him to contribute. They want him to score a goal. They want him to provide an assist, but also to be aware of when those moments come and, and to to sort of take the right decision at the right time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, completely. And and now I think I think the decision-making, like you say, is so many young players and that talent's obvious, but it is the decision-making that holds them back or proves that they're not quite ready. Mm. And if he's got that down, then we've got a player who can really add something immediately to the squad. It'll be interesting next week against PSV to see him. Obviously, we'll be at home, but a higher level of opposition, I think it's probably fair to say, that will be much more of a test and sure. more of the the sort of team that we might be playing, you know, at the Emirates, bottom half Premier League team or mid-table, that sort of level of opposition, I guess PSV would be something similar to. It would be nice to see what he can do in that game and, and how much of an impact he can have. Because if he looks good next week, then we've got a really, really useful squad yeah, player, hopefully, for moving sure. forward into, you know, the Premier League games that are coming up as yeah, well. Yeah, sort of an unexpected one, because when we talked about um, you know what was happening towards the end of the window people will say well we've got this player this player and we've got Marquinhos but nobody knows what he can do so it's sort of like is it like a, a joker in the pack if you like I don't think if Reese Nelson was fit uh, especially I don't think it would have been a surprise to anyone if Marquinhos had sort of got to January with two sub appearances mm. and then got loaned out or something so yeah the I think a joker in the pack's spot on is the right way to describe it because yeah. it's it could hopefully come out of nowhere a little bit as a really viable option. Well, I mean, that's the thing. And, and like, with all due respect to Reese Nelson, um, this is the kind of performance which sort of flips the the situation a little bit because you could say for something like last night, if Nelson was fit, you go, well, he's he's got some experience, played well for Feyenoord last season. Um, you know, he's maybe the safe option. But if you're thinking about building a team, if you're thinking about developing a player – Again, with all due respect to Reese Nelson, why why would Arsenal give Reese Nelson any development minutes right now, mm-hmm. rather than Marquinhos, who you know after one game we're not jumping to any conclusions, but certainly you can see that those minutes going into a player who has a contract for four or five years would be more beneficial to the club than going into a player who is out of contract next summer and in all likelihood is going to leave. 
Yeah, the Reese Nelson one's a, a weird one. Obviously, it has been for a couple of years now, but I I have no doubt he would have started last night um, just based on seniority. Mm. If he was available, I'm I'm pretty sure that Mikel Arteta probably would have gone that way, and, and not really knowing anything about Marquinhos, um, and it's just very very nice that he's taken his chance. Yeah, good for him. And look, we we have to mention Eddie and Keddie as well. Um, if Marquinhos ended with a goal and an assist, so too did Eddie and Kedia. In the middle of that sandwich, in the middle of that was, I think, a penalty, a somewhat unfortunate penalty. It's one of those where, you know, as a, as a, a defender, in inverted commas, when you're defending your box and the ball comes across and you take a swipe at it, if the guy runs across you and you've got no idea he's there, it is a bit unfortunate, but um, you know my rule of thumb with penalties is like what what happens if that goes on in the other box, and if we don't get a penalty there, you know I'm going to. How be, would you have felt? I would have been. I would have felt hard done by Lewis. I yeah. have to say, I think we we definitely <laughs> would have wanted a penalty if that challenge was on. You know, uh, he, he uh, just didn't get. He no. didn't get anything on the ball either. No. I think sometimes you see the defender swing a leg like that, and they t- they just hit the ball with their toes, and they might get away mm. with it. But because he got absolutely nothing on the ball nothing. as well, it was. I saw a few people call it a striker's challenge. Um, yeah, I do wonder if a, a centre back maybe has a little bit more awareness yeah. of danger, the risk that he's running if he does that in his own box. Yeah. And yeah, th- thankfully we can laugh about it a little bit now. I'm sure he won't like to look back. No, at I'm, it. I'm it sure was, he won't. But like he, you know, he's involved. Yeah, he was doing it. Look, he was trying his best at the back and that's obviously not where uh, the where, ball's there in the box it's yeah. it's bounced and you try and clear it yeah don't let it bounce blame the central defenders if I'm Eddie and Kenny I'm going in that dressing room talking to my central defenders going you don't let that bounce that's your fault not my fault but look he, he did provide the assist for Marquinhos a good pass with his left foot I thought he showed very good pace down the left hand side direct running um, and I think his all round game has improved a lot in the last nine months, 12 months or so. Um, I thought what was really interesting about the goal that he scored, we've talked about the quality of the the cross from Marquinhos, which is very good. But I can remember a couple of instances last season where he had a similar kind of a chance, a headed chance from close range. There was one against Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. There was one against Everton, I think, as well, which... I can't right, remember. Right. I think we'd have, we'd have gone 2-1 up. We'd have right gone 2-1 end, up. Instead, we lost. Yeah, we lost 2-1. Um, and he wasn't convincing. So to see him, A, score the winner, make up for the penalty thing, really good, good for him. But also to show an improvement on an area where, you know, last season he wasn't quite as, as clinical as he should be. Headed it down. Goalkeeper got a, a, a foot to it, but really couldn't do anything about it. I think to take his own take on that as well, when he was on the, the Beautiful Game podcast, and he said, if I'm going on for 15 minutes and having two touches, what am I going to do? And mm. it, he didn't think it was fair to judge him on some of those moments. And and then he was like, well, but if I'm going to start three or four games in a row and I don't score a goal, then that's on me. And then you can judge me. And that was both of those misses last season came at a time. I think the Forest game would have probably been his first start for about two months or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, similar, the Everton one, he just hadn't been playing. And it was maybe been thrown five minutes, 10 minutes at the end of a game. And now he's getting regular football. Last season, obviously the last seven, eight games, we saw him playing all of them from the start. And now this season, even though he's not starting, he's getting off the bench for 20 minutes in yeah. pretty much every game in the Premier League. So I think taking his own word and and judge him 
a bit more fairly now that we're seeing more of him and that he can himself have a bit more rhythm, a bit more confidence. That running the team did wonders for him. I thought at the end of last season, um, we talked about it. I thought it was great at the end of last season. I think obviously didn't add maybe quite as much as, as Gabriel Jesus is at the moment. Mm. And I don't think you're looking at those two strikers thinking there's a competition for who's going to start most games up front in the league. But Eddie Nketiah has proved at the back end of last season and hopefully he's proven again now that he can be a really useful option off the bench in games when we need a goal and he can be a really useful backup and someone to come in if mm. you're going to maybe give Jesus a night off or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's all-round games, you said, over the last... We, we always knew Eddie and Ketio would get on the end of things in the box and more often than not put chances away. It's dropping deep and playing with his back to goal and it's the assist last night more than the goal for me that this is the, the Eddie and Ketio that we've grown mm. to to get used to, I guess, over the past yeah. six months or so. And it's just really nice. It's really nice to see that development. I think it's a lesson for all of us as well, because I don't think there are many people that saw that coming, but that development can, can come. Not all players develop at 18, 19, 20, mm. and then... And then it's, you know, like Bakayo Saka now, and then you can see what level they're at at 21, and that's it. Some players hit 23, and then it's that six months that they really start to kick on. Sure. And Enketia looks a completely different player to to 12 months ago, and it's really, really great for us. The, the other side of this, of course, is that, like, when he signed a new contract, he must have done so knowing that Arsenal were going to sign a, a centre-forward because Lacazette was leaving, Aubameyang had gone. He knew when he signed a new contract that Arsenal were going to sign a centre-forward, and may, maybe he knew it was Gabriel Jesus or maybe he didn't. But in doing so, with full knowledge of that, he must have looked at these games the Europa League group games, the EFL Cup games as his, right? And so mm-hmm. it's important for him as he continues this this development to contribute in those games, not just turn up, not just be the guy to give Gabriel Jesus a rest, but to do his best. And I, I think you're right. You know, there's no, it's not really a, um, the, there but is a are- gap, there is a gap. But, but, but what I mean is that, you know, he, he can't just be content to play, you know, in his own mind, however realistic he might be, he can't be content to just say, well, I'm number two to Gabriel Jesus, because I think that's sort of uh, that kind of mindset. I don't think Mikel Arteta would want that. I don't think, you know, the player himself would would um, be satisfied with that. He has to push. As unrealistic as it might be, he has to go out every single time he gets a chance and say, this is what I can do. And... In his first start, in his first Europa League game, he's turned up with a goal and an assist. And we've just seen, we've just spoken about Marquinhos' debut, but we are still light on numbers in wide areas. And at some point, it wouldn't be a surprise at some point to see Gabriel Jesus line up on the wing or maybe Eddie Nketiah to line up on on the left the way that Gabriel Martinelli's been playing at Mm. the start of the season. So I'm sure he's also looking at that and making himself a an option, you know, mm. nights like last night reminding Mikel Arteta what he can do. Sure, he might not displace Gabriel Jesus, but that doesn't mean he won't be starting Premier League games at any point. From the left, from the right, move, mm. move Jesus to the right or the left when somebody needs a rest, when we want to rotate, anything like that. I think there are still Premier League starts in this season for Eddie Nketiah and not just when we're playing like something ridiculous, mm. like four games in a week. 
and I really hope that, that he gets them because, like I say, at the back end of last season and again last night and again when he's come off the bench recently, he's really, really impressed me. Yep, same. And I think physically there's been a change as well, um, just in terms of how well he can deal with uh, opposition defenders. And, and that might come with experience, but I do think he has developed a little bit there and as even well. A, even, a bit of, even a bit of running hmm? ability as well. I don't know what to call it. I wouldn't call it speed necessarily but the strength of his stride if you like almost he, he turns he gets the ball now and um, with the assist last night you see it from the halfway line he gets the ball and he will face a defender up and fancy himself to beat them in a race and mm. I don't think we saw a very penalty box orientated uh, Eddie Nketiah before March last year April last year and this is something that, you know, back to goal and all of that stuff, that's something that he's really added his, to his game. And yeah. some of those chances he had last season, some of the goals he scored, you saw him cover huge distances and, and back himself in a race against the defender. So again, the assist, you know, we'd, we'd say the finish was on Marquinhos this week foot, the, the pass to pick him out was really nice on and catch his left foot as well. A, a left footed assist and a nice clinical headed goal mm. is I think exactly what you want from your right footed striker yeah yeah another close range um, classic from from Eddie but you know like you I think uh, I think it's interesting the way he's developed particularly outside uh, the penalty box and everything else just finally on this game any any worries or concerns about the substitutions I saw people going oh they brought on Martin Odegaard they brought on Saka they brought on Gabriel Jesus I can't remember who the other substitution uh, substitute was in that first run. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is going to be the way of the world when it comes to the Europa League. It was um, Zinchenko, of course, who came on for Tierney. Um, I mean, this is the way it's going to have to be if we're going to make changes in the in the Europa League, especially in games where it's not done and dusted. Like, I think Arsenal were dominant, but there were still moments when Zurich threatened. Um, I remember Holding making a good block, Tierney making a good block. Towards the end, they brought on a, a fairly tall striker who gave us some problems in the air. Um, so unless you're 4-0 up in a game like this and you're bringing on Matt Smith and you're bringing on you know, these academy boys for a few minutes to give them a run out, the changes you're, you're going to make are going to be, in inverted commas, first team players. Yeah, I don't have um, I'd rather not see Bukayo Saka on a on a Thursday night. Sure, but I don't have a massive issue with it. And I think if he's gonna, he's travelled all the way out there. He's obviously trained with the team still. It's not like he's had days off. Uh, it's unlikely, uh, mm. you know, that fifteen minutes at the end of a game is going to be the thing that tips him over the edge and, and causes an injury. Sure. I think it's, and I think that's the same for all of them. I also think there's an element of psychology there. I think Mikel Arteta has obviously rotated the team, but he wants us to take every competition really seriously. Mm. And if he's not playing any of those players, you are sending some sort of message that it doesn't mean as much, that it isn't as serious. I think that ties into him picking such a strong team in the League Cup over the last couple of seasons since he became manager as well. That's a, he that's wants... a pep thing as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and it doesn't... Yeah, I, I don't think it's an accident at all the, that Guardiola obviously does that and that Arteta's doing it every comp they want to win every cup they want to win every single competition and the Europa League especially you know more than the league cup mm. um I would guess this is a competition that we can win that we're before you know who drops down from the Champions League we may be the favorites for at the moment mm. and 
I don't think it's enough to turn up for the quarterfinals and then tell the players that it's important and that you've got to take it seriously. Yeah, I think you've got to show them that you're taking it seriously from the beginning. And as you say, hopefully we get to match days five and six and we can afford to rest a few more players and mm. not bring anybody on. But I don't have a huge issue with it. And, and I'm sure it wasn't just to bring Saka on and to bring Odegaard on, but also because Tierney and Vieira and Marquinhos haven't played four games themselves sure. and, and covering an entire 90 minutes probably wouldn't have been the wisest thing for any of them. All right. And, you know, if, if you do that and then you get Marquinhos and Vieira injured, then you end up having to play Odegaard and Saka from the start against PSV next week. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe no, there's I know a bit of mean. managing that risk as well. Well, of course, of course. Uh, and I think that's a fair point about the importance of, uh, of the tournament. And look, it might well be um, that PSV, well, it is um, going to be our next game, assuming that there are no uh, restrictions on, on the Europa League games, uh, just sort of moving on to what should be happening in the Premier League this weekend, but obviously isn't uh, because of the, the passing of the Queen. The Premier League have decided that they're going to cancel all football or the FA have decided to cancel all football. So that's Premier League, um, Football League, even kids football um, apparently has been uh, cancelled in the UK over the course of this weekend. I'm curious as to, to what you think about that because we've seen other sports are not going to um, postpone fixtures. Um, cricket, for example, and rugby is going to continue as normal. And I do wonder about the Premier League's decision, football's decision in, in this in this scenario. Um, I think it's perfectly normal to be able to show respect to uh, the passing of somebody who was beloved by many people in the UK, but also continue as normal that that part of showing respect is to is to do things that you would normally do and i don't know you know they say it's a mark of respect to postpone the games how do any of the people who would have gone to a game show their respect when they're sitting at home or they're gone somewhere else for the day like you know the idea of a minute silence or two minute silence in the stadium black armbands those maybe, kinds of maybe, things maybe the national anthem plays or something of course possibly yeah of course and i i do feel like football has got this one slightly wrong like it's absolutely right to respect that but I think you have to take into account the other side of things. Like, what does it say? What 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 does it mean to all the people who still have to go to work? Um, you know, football is a, a big business. There are people coming from all over the world, not just to see Arsenal this way, weekend, but to see, you know, Premier League teams, people who've paid for flights, for hotels, for travel, for match tickets, all of those kinds of things and like i've had so many people today messages and emails of people on our discord people on twitter etc who are in exactly that situation and when other sports are saying we will show our respect by continuing on and showing that we're a community and and all of that kind of stuff it's hard not to think that that football has got this one wrong yeah, um, we've. I mean, we've had this a lot over the last couple of years, haven't we? The the British stiff upper lip of continuing on, no matter what the circumstances are. Mm -hmm. um, and now this weekend, we're at least in football, we're not going to do that. It is a weird one. I think. Uh, I wonder now those other sports that you mentioned. I know there's race horse racing that got postponed from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, cricket wasn't played today on Friday, but it's going to resume on Saturday the rugby union and rugby league are all going to be played over the weekend. 
But I think all of those or almost all of those announcements came after the Premier League and the, yeah. the FA, the EFL. And I wonder if anyone was sat there at Football HQ thinking, uh, maybe we should have just played on if everybody else is going to do that. So I, I do find it a weird one. Football also has this difficult media PR relationship where the usual suspects in terms of the newspapers that none of us like to name or read. I'm sure if there was football going on, 80,000 people at Old Trafford or 60,000 at the Emirates celebrating wildly that people would have rushed to write their columns. The people that write about Raheem Sterling buying a mum for, uh, buying a house for his mum or mm. getting on an easy jet flight, even though he has all that money, I'm sure football would have been a very easy target. And I wonder if that was in anybody's minds that criticism could have come for see it showing too many celebratory scenes over oh. the course of the weekend. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I think if that had have happened, that obviously would have been ludicrous and not sure. not worth giving any oxygen to. But uh, yeah, if the, I it did go through my mind earlier if that was in the decision making process. Just any concerns around that? I I think that. I think it's a bit silly that football's not going on, especially when everything else is going on. Everything else is still open. As you said, people have to go to work. Yeah. Bars and restaurants and cinemas are staying open. It, it, having a a nice time and a community time isn't being banned. Yeah, uh, it's not being disrespectful, Britain. is it? You know, you can, you can go to a concert on a Saturday night or this Saturday night, this Sunday, whatever it is, and by doing that, by enjoying yourself, by whatever, the, you're not showing any disrespect to mm. to anything, you know, and, and it's the same thing with football. And I just wonder, you know, I do feel like sometimes football, a bit like um, when the lockdown happened, when, when COVID happened, and all of a sudden you had politicians talking about, well, these footballers earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week they have to show some responsibility. They have to show some some leadership because they earn all this money. What are they doing for the NHS? And it's like, well, hang on, a, hang on a fucking second here. Why, why should footballers be the ones who are held up as sort of these examples of of rich in inverted commas rich people who don't do enough for society? When you've got you know. Uh, bankers and billionaires and investors and all these kinds of people. Nobody said like, you know what? There's a pandemic on the corporations who don't pay enough tax really should start to pay some tax now because that would help the NHS. Footballers are like a really easy target. It's a populist move to sort of blame footballers or point the finger of blame in the direction of footballers. And I just kind of wonder if something like that, um, plays into this decision as well that that football is seen as something i don't know if i want to use the words working class and i i think that's a sort of strange pejorative but you know what i mean that that like it's yeah, yeah. it's seen as that 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 um you know they're the ones who should um show deference and who should take the knee or whatever it is when in reality football could quite easily have continued there could have been um, 10 Premier League games where 
um, all due deference and respect was shown to the passing of uh, a monarch who was in place for 70 years. And obviously, it's a fairly seismic event because uh, the Queen was alive for basically most of all of our lifetimes, anyone who's listening to this. Um, you know, so I think people can understand that. But the idea that by celebrating a Gabriel Jesus goal, uh, when Arsenal, <laughs> you know, play Everton on Sunday, you're you're somehow not sufficiently sad or mourning, I don't think that those two things are, are, are related, you know? Well, yeah, and when a and when a national state of mourning has been declared, how often do we talk about football? If you do want to go back to that thing of referring to it as the working people's game, how often do we talk about football as the thing that people work all week and then it's the distraction from everyday life. It's yeah. the distraction from, from mourning, to take that example, obviously in this situation. Uh, from all of the shit that's going on that makes people miserable. Mm. Football's the thing you go to on a Saturday and this community outreach program, essentially for people who go to the stadium, 60,000 family members at the Emirates every weekend, if not by blood. So it's, yeah, to take that away from people this weekend, I think is a strange choice. And even stranger choices, as you mentioned, the grassroots football being cancelled and, you know, the nine-year-old kids who, who look forward to playing on a Sunday have their games called off. That's that's even more bizarre to me uh, than, than the Premier League thing. I understand if there were, but I read that there weren't, that, it, that this didn't come into the equation, but I would have understood if concerns, especially around games in London and mm. police presence had come into the equation. Apparently it didn't. I am going to assume that Arsenal won't play next weekend as well because of that, because sure. whenever a funeral is going to take place, you're going to have essentially every single state leader in the world all in London. I don't know if there'll be enough police to police. And, and, the, cr- and the, the crowds, obviously, who would go to, to a state yep. funeral, as we've seen uh, previously, you can understand why there would be concerns over policing levels for, for mm-hmm. that kind of a weekend. But, that, you know, it's been made yeah. quite clear today that that was not part of the decision-making process. They decided, you know, like you say, to just not play. And uh, Yeah, and I think with a little bit, I do wonder, with a little bit more distance, obviously this is, a, as you said, a seismic event. It's, it's brand new to all of us. 70 years since anything remotely like this last happened and the world was, I imagine, I didn't see it myself, uh, unrecognisable 70 years ago to what it is today. Even I wasn't so, there, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there's no precedent, there's no protocol for this. Mm. And given that there's a good chance next weekend's games, or at least the ones in London, will be called off as well, or postponed, I guess I should say, I wonder if they'll look back and say that not that postponing all of the games this weekend was a mistake. And especially, uh, and maybe that's a secondary thought right now, but especially in this weird, condensed, broken up, two halves season where we're already squeezing way too many games into not enough days. And mm. now I think, uh, like I say, I'm a, I'm going out on, on a limb, but that's my assumption. We're going to have two extra Arsenal games to squeeze in somewhere in this mental calendar. I saw someone say that the next possible date for any postponed games was, was sometime in January. So... <laughs> You know, this is going to be post World Cup and and everything else. So look, I I know that's not really the that probably wasn't a consideration that they had. Like you know, 
when are we going to play these games? I think it was more about that's been a that's been a problem a problematic recurring theme over the last mm. two and a half years. The the welfare of the players has been everybody's last consideration at every single stop, mm. and obviously they shouldn't take priority right now. Maybe uh, the, the clubs and what football clubs want and what football fans want necessarily. But once again, I feel like that's been not even considered uh, at all. And now we're going to end up yeah, in a position where all of the teams that are in Europe, at least, and I'm guessing you know, you've got seven Premier League teams in Europe. So you're probably in any given weekend going to have the majority of Premier League fixtures involving a team or at least one team that is in Europe. It wouldn't be a problem, obviously, for Bournemouth and... Wolves to squeeze an extra game in. They'll just do it in one of the European weeks. But for for mm. us and the teams that finished around us last season, it's a massive headache. It could well be. All right. Well, look, we'll obviously pay attention to what's going on and and whether or not football, um, Premier League football, will return next week. As you say, it's probably unlikely because of the timing of of the uh, the funeral. But we don't know exactly uh, as to when that's going to happen. I assume that European football will go ahead because. Uh, I'm not sure how they could possibly squeeze in European games um, at a later point. They've got yeah, to get and those I can't done. See, and I can't see UEFA saying that just the the British teams, if you like, the, the no. English and Scottish teams, just, just they get to move their games. But you know, they'll but they'll still have Zurich play Bodo Glimp in our group next week, and then us and PSV have to find another date. It yeah, wouldn't be yeah. fair on PSV no. either. No, so. of course not. Of course not. You have to maintain some kind of a sporting integrity for, for those competitions as well. So it is going to be a challenge for them, right? We will see what happens. Um, we'll leave it there for now, though. Lewis, have a great weekend and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. You too, Andrew. Thanks a lot. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter. He is at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. Right. I'm going to leave it there for this week's uh, show. Sorry it's a bit delayed, but better late than never, I guess they say. James and I will have an Arscast Extra for you over the coming days. Again, I'm not 100% sure exactly when that's going to be out. We were going to be doing it on Sunday after the Everton game, but that's uh, obviously not taking place. So I'll check in with James and I'll let you know over the weekend uh, on Twitter and on the site. Uh, when we're going to do the Arscast Extra. So for now, have yourselves a good weekend. I'm going to go and take care of this little dog of mine and uh, see if she can feel a bit better too. For now, though, thanks for listening as always, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 